grace, peace, and blessings in the name of our risen, redeeming, and returning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Good Thursday morning to each and every one of you. Certainly grateful and thankful to have this opportunity to connect with you for this, another edition of the New Testament Word Walk and the New Testament Word Walk podcast with Pastor Jay that comes from the St. James Missionary Baptist Church located in the city of Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Certainly grateful and thankful to have you connected with us, and I pray that you are excited about walking through the Word of God as we are finding ourselves studying to show ourselves approved unto Him, workmen that are not ashamed, as we seek to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Today's session is a relatively short session as we'll only cover three verses as we wrap up our study of chapter three of 1st Timothy as we are continuing in our lesson series of lessons for the local church. Uh, we are going to wrap up our lesson from that is entitled rather learning to love leadership. Uh, so far we have taken a look at the two biblical offices of the church. We've talked about the pastor, the bishop, the elder, the overseer. And then, of course, last week, we spent time talking about the deacon, the assistant, the arms, the the help, the aid to the pastor. And so today we're going to continue that discussion. Uh, we're going to wrap up today by taking a look at the final verses of First Timothy chapter three, as Paul talks to Timothy about the church itself. So very interesting, very informative, very insightful lesson we have before us on today. But before we get started, let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's seek God's guidance, God's direction as we seek to understand his word. Join me now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now telling you thank you for this day. We thank you for our life, our health, our strength. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your love toward us. How you continue to look beyond our every fault and continue to supply each and every one of our needs. God, we are so thankful. We are so blessed and we are so grateful for all that you are and all that you continue to be. Now, God, as we prepare to walk through your word today, I ask that you would give us understanding of your word. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and our minds that we might receive the truth of your word, that our steps will be ordered by your word. This is our prayer. We offer it now in the name of Jesus. We pray and we praise. Amen. Amen. And amen. So as we left off last week, last week, we talked about the deacon. We talked about the responsibilities of the deacon. We talked about the qualifications of a deacon, understanding that the deacon's role is to be able to serve as an assistant, as an arm. If you remember, we used the reference of Aaron and her in relation to Moses being the arms to hold up the leader's arms that the church, that the body, that the people may remain victorious. Last week, we talked about those different qualifications and those different um, exceptions and things that should be happening in the life of a deacon in verses 8 through 13. Uh, we talked about the fact that they should not be double tongued. They should not be one who 
speaks out of turn, one who is appointed to assist the leader, to care for the membership. We talked about the fact that the deacon should be one who is worthy of respect, um, one who is dependable, or should we say consistent in speech, um, one who has a level of Christian character that exceeds beyond the church, um, just like Paul told Timothy about the pastor, I believe it equal, equally applies to the deacon to make sure that our lives are such an example on the outside of the church that you have a level of honor and respect on the outside as much as you desire to have on the inside. Got to make sure that your life lines up with the word, will, and way of God. We said last week that a deacon must be sound in his Christian doctrine. He must be so sound in biblical doctrine that he is able to teach the word of God. And I believe I shared it with you last week. If I didn't, I'll share it with you now that not only must he be able to teach it, he must also be a student. He must be able to be taught. You can't teach what you're not able to be taught. Uh, we talked about that last week. We talked about the fact that the deacon should be tested. He should be proven before given the title or given the assignment. In other words, Paul tells Timothy, watch how they act in church before you give them the title. Watch how they carry themselves before you give them the assignment. If they are faithful, if they are dependable, if they are consistent before, then that's a good indication of what you're going to get. Oftentimes the church falls prey and is guilty of laying hands on people too quickly. We make decisions on leadership based on personality and preference and not on anointing, anointing and assignment. I want to say that one more time. The church is guilty of giving people titles based on personality and preference and not anointing and assignment. Mm, that's powerful all by itself. The deacon should be tested. He should be proven. I don't believe that he should be a deacon because his daddy was a deacon. I believe that he should be able to maintain the mystery of the faith. That's what the Bible says. And not only must he maintain the mystery of the faith within himself, let's watch how he governs himself in his own house. Is his home godly? Does he have godly characteristics? Are there godly principles being raised in his home? And then finally, we talked about the fact that the deacon should be a willing worker. In other words, and this is where we left off, he does not necessarily need a title to do the function. Oh, what a lesson for the church, that if you need a title to do anything in the church, then you've missed the mark before you even get started. We've got to make sure that we understand that what we now need more than ever, what the local church now needs more than ever, are willing workers. People who basically say, it's not beneath me to do the job without a title. I don't necessarily have to have a check to do the job. I'm willing to serve the present age. So we looked at that last week. Well, in today's lesson, we're going to take a look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Because in these three verses, I believe 
Paul is going to share with Timothy the very thing that elders, bishops, pastors, deacons, and even church members need to be reminded of what a local church is. In this particular uh, passage of scripture, in these three verses, Paul is going to give us what I'm going to call three pictures of the church three pictures, three views of the church. If you're following along with the handout, of course the handout is available via the St. James Church website. If you are following along the handout, we're coming to lesson point number three. Lesson point number three is simply entitled, The Church. We've talked about the pastor. We've talked about the bishop. We've talked about the elder. Uh, Of course, as we shared earlier, as it relates to leadership, bishops and elders are pretty much the same. In today's lesson, last week, rather, we talked about the deacon. In today's lesson, let's talk a little bit about the church. The church. What does the church look like? What are the three pictures that Paul gives of the church. Now, before we dive in here, let's take a look and at a little background to make sure we understand where we are. All right. At this particular point, we understand that Paul is in Macedonia. He has left Timothy in Ephesus to help them keep the ministry going. Now, whereas we understand that as we study Bible history, we understand that Paul desires to return to Ephesus, but here he basically says to Timothy, I need to make sure that you understand something about the church. Should I be delayed in my return to Ephesus? So basically, what is he doing here? He's basically saying to Timothy, let me make sure that as the leader, you are equipped and empowered to make sure the church knows who they are. I need to say that one more time. As leaders, as the leadership, bishops, pastors, elders, deacons, as the biblical leadership of the church, we should be so equipped so empowered, watch what I'm about to say, not only with the word of God, but with the wisdom of God and the vision of God for the local church. I once heard a good friend of mine, Apostle Fred Wyatt say, Apostle Fred Wyatt said that every leader of the church should know the vision of the church and should be able to share that vision and be able to share the same vision amongst the leadership. If if you have several ministers, several deacons, all of them should be able to identify the vision of the ministry and be able to communicate it to the point that if a member talks to four or five of them, he gets the same message amongst the four or five of them. That's what I see Paul doing here with Timothy as it relates to the church of Ephesus. He says to him, I need to make sure that should I tarry, if it takes me a little longer than normal to get back to Ephesus, I need to make sure, Timothy, that you are properly qualified and ready to communicate the mission and vision of the local church to the believers, to the people of the church. 
Let's take a look at what Paul shares with Timothy in first Timothy chapter number three, the final three verses of the chapter verses 14, 15 and 16. The English Standard Version renders it as such. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, immediately, beloveds, as we look at this passage of scripture, we should be able to see that God's church is a church of order. And you're going to hear me talk about that a little bit more as we get into chapters five and six of first Timothy. Those two chapters, Paul is really going to identify some areas where there needs to be some order and some understanding in the house of God. All right. So what does he say here? He says, first of all, in verse 14, I'm hoping to return. I'm planning to return to Ephesus. But just in case I'm a little delayed or I don't get there, I'm writing this to you so that you can teach the people how they ought to behave. They ought to conduct themselves. The word behave here in the Greek simply speaks more of motivation and agenda than it does conduct. In other words, when the church gathers, the church must have a proper motivation. What is the agenda? Are they speaking the same things? Are they believing the same things? The local church, the local church must see themselves as one body in Christ Jesus. This is the lesson. You must see yourself as one body in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, in first Timothy chapter four, verse six, you're going to see Paul deal with this a little bit more having them understand that they are one body. They are brothers and sisters through Jesus Christ. So Paul here gives Timothy some advice in these three verses. He says, should I delay? The first thing that I need to make sure that you understand, Timothy, as it relates to teaching and preparing the people, you must be able to properly teach the church that they are one of three things, or shall I better say a combination of three things. Those of you that are who are following the handout, letter A, number one under letter A, the three pictures of the church in verse 15, he identifies the church as the household of God. Mm -hmm. God's church is a household. He reminds him that they are in alignment with God through Christ Jesus. And just as any other house, there is order in the household of God in order for you to properly produce and present the gospel. All right. The motivation for gathering together 
is that we may learn how to live in God's house under God's rule, under God's authority. All right. We must understand that God has raised up leadership. The first 13 verses of this chapter, he has raised up leadership for a purpose. He has raised up leadership for a purpose. And that purpose must be fulfilled as the church understands the role and the responsibility of the leadership. Next week, we're going to dive into that, looking at chapter four, where Paul takes an entire chapter in his letter to Timothy, describing what they should look for in spiritual leadership and what they should expect from spiritual leadership. So understanding this, the first thing that Paul shares with Timothy and he shares with the local church is that the church must understand that if you are going to function, you must be functioning in kingdom alignment. It's got to be done God's way. And I know I'm about to upset and offend some folks, but let me help you. Just because you've been a part of a church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you have no equity in the local church. You have no right of entitlement in the local church of feeling like because you've been there forever, you've got a right to dictate which way the church should go. That's so out of line. That is so out of order. The order has already been given. It's been given in God's word. He said that I need to make sure, Timothy, that you teach the church how to behave in the household of God. The household of God. Why is this? The problem is many Christians are out of kingdom alignment. And when you step out of kingdom alignment, things will not run as smoothly as God has designed his church to run. As a matter of fact, a church who honors leadership and follows leadership and submits to leadership and follows the word of God. As my dad used to say, as long as you follow me, as I follow Christ, we will be operating in kingdom alignment. And I love the way daddy used to say it. Daddy used to say all the time that when I stop following God, you've got every right and reason to stop following me. Well, pastor, how do we know when you're following God? Good question. When I can align my leadership with what God has said in his word, that's how you know you're following God. When my leadership aligns itself with God's word or better yet, yes, when God's word aligns with leadership, with leadership aligns itself with God's word, not politics, not constitution, not bylaws, but Bible. Amen. We must understand that we must take time to become aligned with God's word. First Timothy chapter two, uh, for first Timothy chapter three, rather verse 15 makes that abundantly clear that we must know how to handle the church. 
As a matter of fact, First Timothy chapter three, verse 15, uh, in some Bible commentaries is identified as the key verse of uh, the book or the letter of Paul to Timothy, that we must always be mindful and understand how we should govern ourselves. Look at why. The church, the local church is a family. It must be fed. And the only diet that it must be fed upon is the word of God. We talked about that in chapter one. Remember that Paul tells Timothy that the church has a major function when it comes to the word. The word of God must be proclaimed. The word of God must be practiced. The word of God must be protected. We have a very simple but very profound responsibility. We must preach and teach the word so that people of God can practice the word. And then when you are properly taught the word and you practice the word, when false teachers arise, you have everything that you need to protect the word. Is it making sense to us today? So Paul here basically says that the people must be taught. Amen. We cannot waste precious time and the church's precious time without providing nourishing word for the people to feed on. Can I talk to a pastor and a preacher? It is so important that we as preachers and as pastors and as spiritual leadership, as teachers of the word of God, spend time in God's word, preparing and seeking the Lord for the meal for God's people. Not our thoughts, not politics, not our opinions, not the newspaper, but the word. Amen. Can you think about how much time we preachers and teachers waste? Amen dealing with things that don't even coincide with God's word. So they need to be fed. They need to be fed. A church, Dr. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, a church does not grow by addition. It grows by nutrition. And if you are properly being fed God's word, you will witness growth especially in this day and time, I'm beginning to see it and I hope you're seeing it too. People are now searching for a place where they can be fed and their spirits can be uplifted. It's not about theatrics and performance. I, I read somewhere where someone said, we've got to take the stage out and bring the altar back in. People are looking for a place where they can be built up in the word of God. Not, not only do they need to be fed, they need discipline. They need discipline. They must be disciplined. The church must be disciplined. And the spiritual leadership should exercise that discipline. We're going to see that in 2 Timothy, where he tells him in 2 Timothy that his assignment as a pastor is to rebuke, reprove, and exhort with patience and teaching. They need to be corrected. They need to be convicted. They need to be celebrated. That is our assignment. They need to be challenged. I think I talked about that a couple of weeks ago in dealing with the fourfold call of spiritual leadership for the church. 
brother pastor, sister pastor, uh, sister teacher, brother teacher, the church needs to be challenged, it needs to be corrected, it needs to be convicted, and it needs to be celebrated. Spiritual leadership must have the importance of rebuking, reproving, exhorting with patience and teaching. Why? This is the house of God and the local church will only know how to conduct themselves when they conduct themselves in the house of God. They must know how to behave themselves. Well, I'm still in verse 15 because in verse 15, not only do they see themselves as the household of God, but secondly, it is defined as the church of the living God. The church of the living God. Now, let me teach us here for a moment. The word church here in the Greek comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ecclesia, with ecclesia, which simply means assembly. For those of you taking notes, ecclesia is spelled E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It refers to an assembly. All right. It's used about a hundred and hundred times in the New Testament to refer to the local church, the assembly of the believer. All right. But this assembly is a special assembly. It is an special assembly of those who have been called out, called out. All right. Paul wanted Timothy to know how they should conduct themselves as a church. But also, Timothy, make sure you know how to conduct yourself as a leader of the local assembly. All right. This is one of the reasons why first uh, and second Timothy and the book of Titus are identified as the pastoral epistles, because these three books, actually, Paul spends time offering nuggets of truth to leaders. Leadership, um, being the, the founder of the Dear Young Preacher Mentoring Network, I often refer to Paul as the true founder of the Dear Young Preacher Mentoring Network because truth be told, a lot of our foundational principles for young preachers are found in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, all right? We, we often have a number of books uh, that tells us how to start a church, how to build a church, how to increase a church. Some of them are excellent references to look to. But the most important thing that you must remember is that the word of God is the foundation to which a church can survive and thrive. And one of the first ways that the church does that, Paul teaches us here, is that the church must know, first of all, who they are. They are the household of God. They are the assembly of God. They are the presenters and the protectors of God. Right. I'm right there. I'm right there. Verse 15. It's right there in verse 15. All three of them are right there in verse 15. If I delay, 
You may know how one ought to behave, how one ought to conduct themselves. Let me put it up full screen so you can take your points and notate them. You can know how to conduct yourself, how to carry yourself, how you ought to behave in the house of God, the assembly of God, so that you can become a proper presenter and protector of God. Are we seeing here the responsibility that is given to the church? This, all we are seeing here so far through Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy, is an assignment not only to Timothy as a leader, but I need us to see the assignment given to us as the church. We must remember we are a household. A household, if we live in a house, we are all under the same roof. Amen. And if we're under the same roof, we got to learn how to look out for one another. We got to learn how to protect one another. We got to learn how to preserve one another. If I can't help you, I won't hurt you. All right. We find that in so many different places. But the one place that comes to mind is when Paul taught the Corinthian church in first Corinthians that they should always remember who they were. They are the body of Christ. They are the body of Christ. Let's go real quick. We've got a moment. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go to first Corinthians chapter 12. Look with me there for just a moment. And as a matter of fact, we're just about ready to wrap up. I told you this was going to be a relatively short lesson today. First Timothy chapter number 12. Look with me uh, beginning at verse 12. And I'm going to read a few verses here um, in this particular passage. Very familiar passage. But I pray that it now comes to light um, in relation to Paul's three pictures of the church that he has presented to Timothy as Timothy serves as a leader of the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. English Standard Version says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. There's the household of God right there. Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? There is the assembly right there. If the whole, were an, whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Watch it, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members. God assembled the church. Each, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Look at verse 19 again. If all of us were one member, if everybody in my church was just like me, what kind of church would my church be? Amen. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but yet 
one body, one assembly, one assembly. The church is the assembly of the living God because it is God's assembly. God has the right and only God has the right to tell us how his assembly ought be governed. Amen. As a matter of fact, while we've got time, let's look real quick at the book of Acts. Go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Yeah, Acts chapter 20. And let's look real quick at one verse. One verse. One verse. All right. Verse 28. Verse 28. Paul is still talking. He's talking to, and look at this. This is what's so important. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul speaks to the elders of the church of which Timothy is now serving, the church at Ephesus. And look at what he says in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, Acts 20, 28 is one of those verses that we often use to give solidification and proof that the pastor has been named the overseer or the leader of the flock. But there's something more powerful that I need you to see in verse 28. Did you not see that in verse 28, the church belongs to, to Christ because he purchased it with his own blood. For that cause, Paul tells the elders in Acts and now tells Timothy in his letter, you must be careful of how we conduct ourselves. Amen. We must be careful that the church does not operate out of personal preference. We must be careful that a leader does not operate out of selfish gain. We must be careful that we don't turn the pulpit into a pedestal, preachers. We must be careful that we don't low-rate the pew. Don't exalt the preacher. Don't exalt the pew, the hymn writer said. Preach the gospel, simple, full, and free. We must be careful that we do not turn the church into a place for personal performance. The church is the called out ones that come together and assemble themselves under God's power and presence, realizing that the only way we can be here is that we were purchased by the blood of Jesus. Through that purchase, we have been redeemed. We have a second chance. We have a new outlook on life. We are the household of God. We are the assembly of God. And then third and finally, we are the presenter and the protector of God. I'm in verse 15, still in verse 15, because in verse 15, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says there that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar. English Standard Version uses the word buttress. All right. The two words that I want to do a word on play here. All right. Because in these two words, 
in these two words, they were used as metaphorical instruments to make sure the Ephesian church understood what the church should be, all right? When he talks about the pillar, he talks about the word of God being a, much like a statute that should be put on a pedestal so that all could see it. As a presenter of God, it's our assignment as the local church to present the word. No more, no less. Present the word. We're going to see that when we get into the second letter, when Timothy is now pastoring on the island of Crete and he says to him there, look, the assignment is still the same. The assignment has not changed. You must preach the word. We must put the word on display. Amen. As as a pillar, as the church being a pillar of the truth. That simply means that the church should put the word on display, not only in our teaching and our preaching, but also in our actions and our atmospheres and our attitudes. People ought to feel like they have been to church when they come to church. People ought feel like that they have been and have had an encounter with Jesus and not uh, in performance with people. People need to feel like they can come to church and leave better. I'm thinking about something that was shared uh, Sunday before last uh, when Sister Rashawn gave the youth inspirational message and she made the statement. She said that she felt so much better when she got to church and when she got to that place and got to church, she felt better no matter what she was encountering in her life. She always felt better when she got to the church. You know, can't help but think about something that one of my young people shared with me uh, New Year's Eve. One of my youth, one of my teenagers, as a matter of fact, shared with me, Pastor, I love coming to church here because here I don't know what to expect. Isn't that something? That they are so attentive and so anticipatory that they don't even know what God is going to do. We should never be so programmed in church that we miss out on an encounter with church. Philippians chapter two, verse 16 says that we must hold forth the word of life so the world can see it. Matthew chapter five, verse 16, uh, verses 14, 15 and 16, let's get all three, said that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. But if we lose our savor and if we hide our light, we are no good to the world. Come on, church. We got to stop trying to become like the world to win the world. No, you want to win the world? We win the world when we put the word on display. Because so many times we are so busy searching after numbers. We're so busy searching after quantity that we're missing out on quality. So the pillar, the church is the pillar of the truth. That simply means the church should be putting the word of God on display. When people come to your church, when people encounter you as a church, that's who we are, we are the church, we are the church. When people encounter us, what do they come in contact with? Do they come in contact with anointing or arrogance? Do they come in contact with humility or hell? I said it. 
I said it. What does the what do people encounter when they encounter us? They with the church is a pillar of the truth. But look at this and I'm wrapping up. He also says that the church is the ground, the bulwark, the buttress of the truth. In other words, we are the protector of the truth. The church protects the truth and makes sure that the truth does not fall. We do not follow or fall into the spirit of compromise. Because according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, which we're going to look at next week, the enemy makes progress when the church compromises the ministry. When church leaders take a militant stand against sin and apostasy, it may not make them popular, but it does make them pleasing in the sight of God. In other words, we must be not only presenting the gospel, but by properly presenting the gospel, we are protecting the gospel, the pillar and ground of the truth. What is the truth? I am so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked because the truth here is found in verse 16. In verse 16, he identifies the mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery? Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, not only at his birth, but during his entire ministry. He came unto his own. His own received him not. But to them that would receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. He was manifest in the flesh. He was vindicated in the spirit. The spirit empowered him. Romans chapter one, verse four. The spirit empowered him to do miracles and even raised himself from the dead. He was seen by angels which basically says, according to James 2 and 25, that, that he was seen by angels. His life and his ministry are associated by chosen messengers who had witnessed the resurrection. Here's the thing that you got to hold on to, though. He was seen by angels. But look at this. He was proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. In other words, Dr. Warren Wiersbe said, Christ may have been seen by angels, but he died for the lost. And for that cause, the gospel, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ is preached to remind the world that they can be recipients of the second chance. Amen. And then he was believed upon by the world. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that when we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God have raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing here now that after he was done, according to Acts chapter one, he was taken up into glory. Remember in Acts chapter one, after they told him, will you now restore the kingdom? And he said, look, this is not the time for you to be concerned about that. That's all in God's power, but you will receive power. 
After that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you, Acts chapter two. And once the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall be witnesses of everything that you have seen, everything that you have witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Once you get it, you should give it away. Start at home and spread abroad. And after he made that statement, he ascended back into heaven. And you remember that the men were standing there looking and gazing, wondering how he did it, where he had gone. And he, he sent an angel to say, why stand ye here gazing? Just as you saw him leave, you need to live with the awareness that he is coming back again. You need to live with the awareness, people of God, that Christ is soon to come. Live with the awareness that he is coming back again for his church without spot or wrinkle. We must be willing to share that with a dying world. Somebody needs to know that the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that we sing and we preach and we pray and we celebrate over has that much power. We are challenged. That's the challenge to the local church to witness of Jesus Christ to the lost at home and around the world. That's why we have the New Testament word walk, not only virtually on streaming sites, but even on podcasts. Perhaps someone may be listening and does not know this Jesus. I want to tell you, as the songwriter put it, he came from heaven to earth to show us the way from the earth to the cross, our debt to pay from the cross to the grave, then from the grave to the sky. Our challenge, our assignment as the church leadership and laity is to lift his name on high. So today I challenge us to see the importance of it, to see the necessity of the local church, to be able to love leadership so that we may carry out the mandate of our Lord and our Savior. And thus we have wrapped up chapter number three and we have concluded our study of chapter three. On next week, we're going to continue this conversation looking at chapter number four. And in chapter number four, Paul is going to continue this conversation of leadership and he's going to emphasize the leader's character and the leader's assignment. In next week's lesson, we're going to see three qualities that a minister must possess in order to be successful in leading God's people. Now that you have a love for leadership, Let's talk about what needs to be seen in the leader. And of course, as always, as we come to the close of our time of sharing, if you have any questions from today's lesson, please take a moment to drop those questions in the comment section. Um, as we see those questions, we will be more than happy to answer those questions based upon 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to leave those questions in the comments. As always, I would dare close our time of sharing without giving someone an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've heard today about the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the church, the assignment of the church. The assignment of the church is to tell a dying world 
that he was hung up for our hangups, laid down for our get downs. But on a third day, he rose, giving us a right to eternal life. All you have to do is accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Information now appears on the screen if you desire to give Christ your life, to give God your life, or perhaps desire to become a part of the St. James Missionary Baptist Church or even our virtual ministry known as the Church Beyond Walls. All you'll have to do is with your smartphone or tablet, simply text SJMBC Virtual to the text code of 84576. Once you do that, a reply box is going to come back asking for some contact information so that members of our ministry team can reach out to you and pray with you, give you counsel and instruction on next steps in connecting with Christ, developing a relationship with Christ, and even becoming a part of our local assembly. We would love to have you a part of our family and would love to hear from you today. Well, beloveds, thank you for the opportunity to share with you today God's word. It's been my great joy to share God's word. We look forward to being back with you next week for another installment of the word of God. Until next time, it is my will, but it's got to be the will of God that we are together. I need you to stay focused, stay faithful, and be a recipient of God's great favor. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we say thank you for this time. Thank you for this privilege this morning to come before your people with your word. God, I tell you, thank you for the power of your word, for the strength of your word. Thank you, God, that this word teaches us who we are in you and who we have been designed to be in you and who we are because of you. Help us never to forget our assignment and help us never to forget that it is because of your son, Jesus, we have a right to eternal life. God, I speak blessings. I speak favor. I, I speak great faith upon your people. I pray this word ministers to them in a great and awesome way and leads them to a greater understanding of who you are. This is my prayer. I offer it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we praise. Amen. Amen and amen. God's blessings be upon you now is our prayer. We look forward to having you connect with us, whether virtually or via podcast on next week. Until such time, be blessed and know as always, beloved, we love you all.